0: good morning, good morning. Good morning. Happy, new happy new year year of the dragon so i hope you all made your resolutions for the new year yeah hitting <laughs> the gym <laughs> diet okay. yeah all those good things yeah. huh. But what about your resolution
1: to wake up, to stop spinning in your delusion, to take this practice seriously, to stop wasting your time? What about that? I think of
0: Mumon, Master Wu men or Mumon in Japanese. He said, why give relief to the body when you should be giving relief to the mind? Now, we can make all the resolutions in the world, but of course they will fail us. Well, they'll fail us for a couple of reasons. One is because
1: how we approach them that matters, right?
0: It's the way we resolve that matters, the way we approach our life that matters, not what we do. Nobody gets to the end of their life and says, I'm so glad I went to the gym. But when you put your full effort and as we say in buddhism virya it's one of the paramitas the six qualities of the bodhisattva virya which means effort it's really related to this word vigor full effort into our life
1: that's what you'll remember that's what matters The what doesn't matter it's how you're doing your life. So, so
0: often it's about the reason we are stuck in our delusions because of this constant repetitive type of thinking this totally dull and unimaginative way that we live just dull as hell. Because we we circle, like uh, one of my teachers used to keep fish. He said, a number of fish in the ocean, they just keep circling the same little spot. (laughs) They don't know that they have this vast territory.
1: So we keep circling in our
0: delusion over and over again. So unimaginative, so can we reimagine our life? I gave a talk on this about seven years ago. Reimagining ourselves. I used to um, be drudge, kind of practices like compa- you know, uh, generating compassionate thoughts and generating uh, gratitude and things like that. I used to really kind of get down on that and part of the reason was is because many of those practices you're trying to cultivate states of mind, it can kind of be a positive thinking type of thing. You know? You're just trying to replace unwanted thoughts with wanted thoughts, and that can be a problem. You know, I, I've mentioned this before, one of my favorite movies, What About Bob with Bill Murray, have you seen this if you haven't it's well worth watching (laughs) he's a psychiatric patient uh in therapy with uh with um richard dreyfus i believe who plays the psychiatrist Uh, but anyway he uh bob this patient bill murray Does these positive affirmations every morning looks in the mirror and he says, or maybe he's walking down the street or something, and he says, you are good, you are great, you are wonderful, you know.
1: I feel that's what he says,
0: I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful, I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful, and he's trying to use it as a way to stave off all of the his his anxiety Right. And meanwhile, he's just about as tight as he's about to pop, he's so tight, you know. And so these, you know, if we're not careful, those kind of practices can turn into that. But, you know, there is a positive, there is a practical, there is a reason to do practices like that in that they can get help us get a healthy distance from those unimaginative ways of thinking that we spin in. So if nothing else, they can kick us out of the habitual mind that cycles and cycles and over
1: and over again, this wheel. Uh,
0: What I appreciate, really love, actually, about Buddhism is its willingness over time to take the shape of any container that it enters, cultural container, um, it is not fixed. One of the ways that we can think about that is through what is called the three turnings of the wheel of Buddhism. Have people heard of the three turnings? Well, the, the first turning, this, uh, what's called the turning of the wheel of Dharma, Was Shakyamuni himself, the Buddha, when he taught? And of course, he taught the Four Noble Truths, right? The three marks of existence, the four foundations of mindfulness, the Eightfold Path. And its emphasis was on individual ending, individual suffering.
1: That was its emphasis. But the Buddha,
0: at times, said that this skill, this first turning of the wheel was simply a skillful way of getting people through the door of the teachings, because they're so accessible. There's four noble truths. You can memorize them and relate to them. There is a path, a full path. You can follow it. It's pretty understandable, and it makes a big difference in your life. But what he didn't say too often was that he laid out all these categories was because he thought that people wouldn't understand the deeper teachings, That they wouldn't be accepted. But you know, after the Buddha passed away, died, teachers began to emphasize that the this personal liberation, although important, it wasn't the top of the mountain. Those categories you get attached to everybody wants to understand and so you can get attached to all those categories and the sense of progression in practice first you do this and then you do that and then right so the second turning of the wheel of dharma was a reaction and an expansion of the teachings It was an expansion, a broadening, a deepening. Because it becomes, it shifts from a practice just about me, 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 and me getting off the wheel of suffering and me understanding all these categories, to a practice of we. It's more about compassion. The archetype of the early Buddhist teachings was the arhat, the enlightened individual. But in the second turning, the Mahayana teachings, the ideal is what? Right.
1: Bodhisattva, who does what?
0: They put off, they put off their own full awakening to stay in that burning movie theater to get everybody out the door before them, before themselves. But that, in addition to that, it was also the time when the teachings were expanded. That the deeper teachings were <clears throat> emphasized, as we just chanted the Prajna Paramita, the emptiness. You love that eightfold path, as it says in the Prajna Paramita. There is no path. What are you going to do with that? There's no eye, though no, there's no ear, no tongue, no body, no mind, no color, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, nor what the mind can take hold of. nor even active sensing, no wisdom No suffering, no end of suffering. It's like, how do you find your way? What does that do to your sense of balance? It's like, "Whoa.
1: all said to be without
0: substance all sense of progression is taken away and instead it also reveals that everything from the beginning is resting in this state of nirvana absolute peace it is the progression the mind of progression mind of categories, the mind of grasping at those things that is the problem. And if you don't see that, you're just going to keep spinning.
1: And so
0: we have a glimpse into that we have more bigger or smaller intimations of that world where categories fall away when we drop all of that and when we do then we can then return to this world of categories of the marketplace as we say in zen which means the ordinary world and use categories We can use ideas and progress and, because they're skillful sometimes, but we're not attached to them. We don't believe in them, fundamentally, that they have any inherent existence. And then we can use vow. Without worrying. We had a conversation the other night about vow and some people, and this is normal, people react to the sense of vow. I can't make a vow. It's too serious. I'm not ready for it. And it's like, I get it. And yet that's because you're taking it way too seriously. You believe in its inherent existence. But what if you just put your full mind and body into that vow without worrying whether it's serious or not? So these three turnings of the wheel, by the way, they can be looked at not just in terms of Buddhism, how it has evolved, but really about how we evolve in practice.
1: Right. As we start
0: to practice, we get our nervous systems under control. We start to have less stress and anxiety. We regulate. We breathe. We become more present. We become more aware of our patterns and all that good stuff. And we don't fall for as many traps as we used to. And in all of that, then, then we enter, that would be the first turning, right? Of the wheel. The second turning would be, okay, I'm regulated enough. If I keep staying here, good. I'll, I'll, it's like, you know, feel good. Then what are you going to do with that you got to get off of that seat man and get into the world and start helping but that's what naturally you want to do because you're no longer so consumed with getting your anxiety under control you got it you know and so then you look around and go oh wait there's a whole world out there that needs me because you're not so consumed in your own suffering anymore. And you can also begin to enter deep more deeply into the teachings. You know, people sometimes will come into the and they'll say, well, what else is there? Well, you want to know, let's do it, but it ain't going to be easy. Right. You can do your breath practice for year after year. That's fine. It's fine. But what else is there? We might have that breakthrough. As Yamada Ko and Rashi was fond of saying, he would say that all is one and one is all. We might see that for ourselves. And then our heart opens. And we see that there would be no other way other than to help, because it is helping ourselves. One body. So these, these ways of working in practice, you know, can be these three turnings. Oh, and by the way, people are saying now there's a fourth turning, right? It's conceptualized different ways, but the fourth turning of the wheel, which I appreciate is now seeing that this earth is a being,
1: not a resource. It is our own body, which is very
0: difficult to see back in 2,500 years ago. They didn't have that conceptualization yet. So that so the, I guess the point here is the wheel keeps turning, right, and in that we do we recognize that we do too. our motivations for practice deepen, they change over time, as I've said so often. when we feel impatience in our practice, we're like we're not getting anywhere, like we're not understanding ourselves more. It is usually because we're stuck in not being able to imagine. Accepting our
1: change. Our
0: belief that things are the same and will always be the same. Poor me. I'll always be the same. Right. It reminds me of a passage from Yuan Wu, who was a Song dynasty Chinese Zen master. He said, this beautiful phrase,
1: and so I want to share it.
0: When you have attained realization, you can make free use of all things on the way, like a dragon taking to the water, or like a tiger roaming its mountain. When you have not attained realization, you remain adrift in worldly things, You're like a ram whose horns are caught in a hedge. Or somebody who's watching a tree stump waiting for a hare. Like a rabbit. Sometimes, he says, a single phrase is like a lion crouching on the ground, and sometimes it's like a diamond treasure sword. Sometimes it cuts off all the tongues of all people under heaven And sometimes it follows the billows and chases the waves. Therefore, it has been said that when a great activity manifests itself, no fixed rules exist. And then he finishes, sometimes you use a blade of grass as a 16 foot golden body of the Buddha. And sometimes you use a 16 foot golden body as a blade of grass. Can you get a sense of what he's getting at?
1: This freedom where, as he says, no fixed rules exist. No fixed rules. Can you feel that? That's now. So
0: I wanted to, for the remaining remainder of our time, explore this case, this koan that I sent out in the New Year's email. And it's a short case that really, to my mind, flows right out of Yuan Wu's words from that passage. And it goes like this. Master Yun-men, who, by the way, was a Tang Dynasty master, one of the great Zen, early Zen masters, Yun-men held up his staff, showed it to the assembly, and said, this staff has changed into a dragon, which completely swallows the universe. Where do the mountains, rivers, and great earth Come from.
1: End of case.
0: You want me to read it again? Okay. Yunmen held up his staff. This staff has turned into a dragon and has swallowed the entire universe. Where do all the mountains, rivers, and the great earth come from? so just a couple of moments of what koans are koans um, koan is a practice it's a means of practicing but it's also a statement of truth It is a expression of reality in this in his commentary on this particular koan um Yamada Koan mentions that Harada Roshi, who was the founder of our Zen school in modern Japan, this blending of the two traditions of Koan introspection and just sitting practice. Of course, we don't do them at the same time, but they are available to us. This Harada Roshi... Used to, he was apparently he was fond of asking this question to all his students. He would say, "Which is higher, Mount Fuji or Atagoyama, which is the hill in Tokyo where the Tokyo Tower stands? Which is higher, Mount Fuji or this hill?" And then he would say, "Of course, from the ordinary point of view, Mount Fuji is higher, right? We could say Mount Mitchell is that higher, or this Zendo, which is higher."
1: Hmm? Anyone? No fixed rules. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. From the ordinary mind, there is division and fixedness. But even, we can even approach it, he would say, logically, we can just understand that where is the boundary between Mount Fuji and Atay- Atagayama? Where is that boundary? Where does Mount Fuji stop?
1: Huh? No boundary. There's no, that's an idea in your head. Isn't, isn't that what we do?
0: Put up boundaries? So, as I sometimes will do, I want you to just now close your eyes and ask, is my voice inside of you or outside of you?
1: Is the sound of the heater or the truck or the breath in or out? So, from that point of view, what's higher?
0: It's hard to tell sometimes when we enter into this one pointed concentration in Zazen. Those categories, those boundaries start to fade, they get a little wispy. And sometimes people get confused. Who am I? Mm, That's a good state to be
1: in. If we don't give
0: way to the fear. If we give way to the fear, we'll go, no, this is who I am. I wanna reassert. Shake it off. Shake it off, Teshin. Come on. Reassert yourself. You know, people say, should, I, I can't sit because I'm tired. I can't sit because so I'm sleepy. Good, you know. Get sleepy. Let those, let that fuzziness take over. Rather than, I to be on top of things. Hmm? But even more is to realize that really all these borders, these boundaries that are shifting and changing and that they're not even there to begin with. I think of that early photograph from the Apollo missions. um, I think it was probably in, I don't know if it was in the, it was one of the later Apollo missions, I think that they snapped that very famous photo, which was named the blue marble. People saw for the first time, the earth without any lines on it. There was no countries or labels. And it was so, I think it had an impact on us as a species, that photograph.
1: They saw, we saw for the first time that it's not a
0: map, you know? And so in our sitting practice, each time we sit down, we have a chance to let those divisions go, to tune into this one reality. But that takes time because we are so attached to those divisions that even when we see the blue marble, we will go, oh, I recognize the Horn of Africa there. Oh, that's the Indian Ocean there, right? We don't need it labeled on the map. This is what we do when people start to have a little freedom in their. Oh, oh, that's what that was. I was in Samadhi. Oh, and they start labeling that and they want to get back there. And then, man, what a tragedy. Let that shit go.
1: But that's what the mind does. Later, I think it was in the 90s, the Voyager
0: mission took a photo. It was was also labeled, I think it was uh, called the pale blue dot. And it was a picture of the earth from 3.7 billion miles away. It was less
1: than one pixel in frame. Rispy. Nothing can be made out. And then, what happens when it goes further? Where do you go?
0: This is what Koan practice, this is what awakening is trying to show us, this no-thingness, and it is important because it is healing it is not a cool experience it is not tripping out on acid or mushrooms it is healing us it's like when we get cut there's your division two pieces of skin and then when it starts to heal but they, actually it's not quite like that because actually it's more like when we when we're dreaming we are cut, and we wake up
1: because we've never been cut There has never been a cut. with this,
0: we come back to Yunmen. He held up his staff and said, this staff turns into a dragon and swallows the whole universe. You know, the dragon is a traditional symbol, of course, that means many things in Chinese culture. One of the things that's often associated with is water and weather. What's the old phrase in every location that you ever live in? about weather. If you don't like it, just wait a minute and it will change. I think every place I've lived, they say that. (laughs) But they always think it's just about that place. Change is difficult because we like things the way they are. And a lot of fear can arise when change happens. One of my teachers used to always say, it's not that things change. It's that there is only change. That's another delusion to think that things
1: change. One fluid reality.
0: So, this dragon. I'm going to explore some colons about dragons this beginning of this year because it is the year of the dragon, and there's a story that Dogen sort of references in his Shobogenzo. He uses this phrase: "cherish an authentic dragon over a crafted one." That phrase comes from a tale and it's a short one. It's about a Chinese man who was enamored with dragons. And so he collected, he amassed figurines and scrolls and statues and paintings of dragons. And he considered himself an expert on dragon lore. He was what you would call a dragon enthusiast. And news of his passion reached an actual dragon. (laughs) And so this dragon, she was, said, wow, wow, I think I'll pay him him a visit. He loves dragons. So she landed on his windowsill and stuck her head into the window. (laughs) And he became so frightened that he pulled out his sword and she flew off. Our fear is the real thing. And so many people practice Buddhism, but they're in a state of fear. They collect dragons. They collect figurines and scrolls and paintings. You know, this is like, When we read a lot about Zen, we read Buddhism, we think we're practicing, but we're really just playing with ideas rather than the thing itself. Some people spend their whole lives like becoming like collectors. You know, they're like, they live in a museum
1: Somebody once said
0: to me that they were an armchair Buddhist. (laughs) An armchair Buddhist. Sometimes you get emails, and I've said this before, you get emails. or springtime, it's usually, well, is it springtime? Springtime or falltime, you get emails here. uh, Hi, I'm a college student. Can I come and observe a service? No. (laughs) Hell no. Because there's no observers in Zen. You have to sweat with all of us. Mm -hmm. So Yunmen held up his staff. And said, it transforms into a dragon. I think of children, you know. My own child. How anything can become anything. Hmm? A rope becomes a snake. A cardboard box is a submarine. Sometimes the box that the gift came in is more interesting than the (laughs) gift itself. Because why? Why? Is this important? Why? It's free. It's free. It's It's, it's not, it's not here's your Barbie house. Because that's already a Barbie house then. But a box can be a Barbie house. It can also be a car. It can be anything you want it to be. You're not telling that kid how to play. Mm
1: -hmm. Staff becomes a dragon. Free. It's so
0: sad when kids lose that. And yet that's what they have to do. So maybe they grow up and start practicing Zen. Yun-men is using his creative samadhi reminding us that we are dragons.
1: And we realize that when we
0: get swallowed up by this practice, when the mind of ideas gets swallowed
1: then we are free
0: and so the case ends with yun men posing the question where do all the mountains rivers in the great earth come from it reminds me of another case and i'll just read part of it monk asked Kempo. The sutra says that the Bhagavats in the 10 directions know one straight road to nirvana. I wonder where is that road? Kempa lifted his staff, drew a line in the air, and said, Here, where do the mountains, rivers, and great earth come from?
1: You know, earlier I mentioned Harada Roshi's question about the Mount Fuji versus the hill. To remember that they are not separate. And because of that, they're absolutely equal in height. And yet they're also different in height. They're born of one body. Where do the mountain rivers come from? Here. Here.
0: Where are they born? Hmm. (laughs) Where's the river?
1: Nowhere. It's right there. No? Hmm.
0: So just to end, um, each of these cases, by the way, are appended with an introductory verse, usually in a, or an introdu- introduction and then in a uh, appreciatory verse. And sometimes we get into those and sometimes we don't. Sometimes they're filled with all kinds of Chinese literary allusion and they're very weave back and forth. So it can take a long time to kind of understand. But I just want to share this verse with you. The verses were created by um, another master that compiled the Blue Cliff Record. Um, He says this. The staff has swallowed up the universe.
1: So just a pause. Notice there's no more dragon.
0: Even the dragon's gone. The staff swallows up the universe. Don't say peach blossoms float on the waters. The fish that gets its tail singed may fail to grasp the mist and the clouds. This is, by the way, um, a reference to this lore that when the peach blossoms fall onto the water in the Yellow River, there's a waterfall, and that's the time where the carp are spawning and jump up the waterfall. And there's a legend that when they jump up the waterfall, they make such an effort that if they make it, they turn into a dragon and enter heaven. But he says the fish gets their tails singed. It's said that lightning hits the tail as they become a dragon. And then he says the one that lie with the gills exposed and need not lose heart. In other words, not everybody makes it up that end. Not every fish makes it up that waterfall. But you shouldn't lose heart. Don't
1: lose heart.
0: There are some of you who are working hard. This is what I really want to say today. There are some of you that are armchair Buddhists and that's okay. But there are some of you who are working hard. Because I know we meet together in Doksan to realize your nature.
1: Don't lose heart. Just because it hasn't happened yet.
0: He says, my verse is done, but do you really hear me? You must be smooth and flowing and stop scrupling over details. 72 blows are not enough. I want to give you 150. (laughs) And then he descended from his platform, waving his staff, and the whole crowd ran away. (laughs) Okay, enough said. Well, let's stop here and recite the four Bodhisattva vows. I'm not sure what page they are in the new chant book, so if somebody could find them for me and call out a page number from the table of contents. Anybody for all beings without number.
2: Oh.